a day to be together, amen? Happy Easter. It is good to see you guys. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. And listen, I know uh, we have some people here today who you come every Easter, you come every Sunday, but I also know we have some people who this is your first time in church. Maybe in a year for a lot of us, a lot of people haven't been to church in a while, but maybe you're saying, now I've never been to church ever, and I'm not sure who God is, and I'm not sure about this whole Jesus thing, and, and maybe uh, we seem a little crazy to you, right? Like, why are we raising our hands? Like, do you have a question? <laughs> and what I would tell you is the reason why we seem a little crazy this morning is because we have found a living hope in Jesus Christ. We found life and love and hope and And through this person of Jesus who walked the earth over 2,000 years ago, claimed to be God and king, and yet wasn't the kind of king people expected and died a gruesome death on a cross, but rose again in three days, just like he said he would do, conquering sin, Satan, and the grave. And we've encountered Jesus. There's nothing special about us. We're not morality, examples of morality. We are trophies of grace. So we're excited today to celebrate Jesus risen from the grave because he's where we found our life and our hope and our love. And we want you to find that too. That my prayer and our prayer is that you would find life and hope in Jesus Christ today and that you would never be the same. And so I'm gonna pray along those lines as we get started here. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, God, I do pray that this would be more than just another Easter service. God, I pray that you would show up today in a, in a big way. And I know you're here. I know you're present. And I know you see every person and you see every story. But God, I pray that you would invade some stories today with the power of your resurrection, with the hope and the life and the love that you are inviting us into. God, you are inviting us into it. May we receive it. God, well, I pray that you would sharpen our minds as we look at your word. I pray that you would soften our hearts pray that you would open up our ears and by the power of your spirit you would change lives today and we would never be the same we pray that in the name of Jesus Christ and everybody said amen amen you guys can have a seat Well, one of the things that uh, I've realized is a lot of us have some new hobbies after the last year um, a lot of us were quarantined, at least for a season, and we had to figure out what to do. And uh, one of those things for my family as we were figuring out what to do was putting together puzzles. Uh, we weren't puzzle people before, no offense if you were. We weren't, it took a quarantine and a pandemic to force us to puzzles, right? But we got this puzzle, our first puzzle that we got was a Mandalorian puzzle based on the show Mandalorian, go watch it, yeah, give it up for the Mandalorian, um, great show. But if you've never seen that puzzle, it, it kind of all bleeds together. It's not a great puzzle to start with. It's the back of the Mandalorian's helmet, kind of black and green, that fades into Baby Yoda, which is also green, and then into brown desert. There's no distinct colors or, or, or shapes really within the puzzle, but this is the, the puzzle we chose to start with as a family. And listen, this puzzle started to take over our lives. Like so much so that my wife and I, we have three kids and we have to wake up like at 5 a.m. if we want any sanity for the day. Come on, parents. And we were staying up till 2 a.m. working on this Baby Yoda puzzle. And we would start to make some progress and so we didn't want to quit. And there would always be like at 2 or 3 a.m., there would always be these few pieces that didn't seem to fit anywhere. 
And we would just almost think like the manufacturer of the manufacturer of this puzzle, like he's making fun of us right now. I mean, this piece was never supposed to fit in this puzzle. They're just messing with us. And it just didn't seem like it would fit. And I'll tell you that story because I think that describes a lot of our lives. See, it described my life growing up, specifically with church and with God. I was in the church growing up, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, three different sermons, new appreciation for that pastor, amen? I grew up in the church, born in a pew, but I never felt like I fit. I felt like I was that puzzle piece that was just like, look around and see everybody else and the way they talked and the words they used and the way they dressed, and I just didn't feel like I fit, but get this, I wanted to. I had an innate sense of wanting to belong. And even though I didn't feel like, felt, feel like I belonged to church or, or God, I wanted that sense of belonging. And so I began to, to go to other places to try to find it. So in high school, for me, that was sports. And I would go to sports and, and want to belong. When I was in college, I, w- I would go to the party scene and the frat scene because I would want to belong Even when I became a pastor, a little pastoral confession early on, I still didn't feel like I I belonged in the church. That's why we're non-denominational. And I've always had this struggle with belonging in church and belonging to God. And I think many of us, if we were just to be honest in this room and maybe even raise a hand, there's been seasons of our lives we felt like that. I don't fit, I don't belong, but I want to. And, and here's what's interesting. It, it, is, it was the case for me in my life, and I imagine the case for you in your life. As we have this deep sense of wanting to belong, we often, in that searching to belong, we end up running away from God, not to him. When the reality is, the one place we belong, if we don't belong anywhere else, is with God. And yet we run away from him and try to belong in every other way but with him. And so we're going to look at a a story post-resurrection with with Jesus and Mary Magdalene. And and we're going to see this vivid picture that the place we run to when we want to belong, the place we run to when we don't feel like we fit, it is Jesus Christ. And there is no other place to go. And so we're going to see that in John chapter 20. So I would encourage you, grab a Bible and meet me there. John chapter 20. Uh, if you don't have a physical copy of the scriptures, you can pull this up on your phone. If you are at home, we'd love for you to join us and look at God's word. Get it in front of you and see it with me. John chapter 20, starting in verse 11. And our sermon title today is, is this. It's outcast to adopted. Outcast to adopted. John 20, 11 through 18, it says this. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know what, or that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Would just pause for a moment. If I was Mary in this moment, I would be a little bit frustrated. Twice she's been asked, why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? And where is she? A tomb. What do you do at tombs? You cry. 
right? Nevertheless, we keep going. I would be frustrated if I was married. I don't know, you guys don't seem like you'd be frustrated, but again, maybe I don't belong. Uh, That's part of it, so we continue. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So we're going to look briefly at just three things. We're going to look at the tomb, we're going to look at Mary, and we're going to look at Jesus. So first, the tomb. Here's the scene you should be picturing. You have Mary Magdalene showing up at this tomb. Jesus is not there, though. She's looking outside from, standing outside the tomb. She steps inside the tomb to look, and she's looking for Jesus' body because in that day, and other gospels will tell us, she came to perfume the body, the dead body of Jesus, but he's not there. And you start to see she almost didn't even have any equation in her mind that Jesus would be risen from the dead. And we're going to talk more about who Mary Magdalene is and was, but but Mary was a follower of Jesus. She had most likely heard Jesus say, hey, I'm going to die, and three days later I'm going to rise. But in this moment, as she doesn't see Jesus' body, she doesn't say, oh my gosh, it happened. He risen. He's Lord. She immediately assumes what? Somebody must have taken the body. Where'd you guys take the body? And she wants to find the body. And and I say this, and we'll get to outcast to adopted, but but I know some of us were like, that's great, like spiritually, but but I want to know like physically, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Is there credibility to this? And I would say, even just looking at this example and this story, we see there is credibility. You see many people, and specifically in this season and and National Geographic specials and and other things, and maybe friends of yours, they'll question, hey, did Jesus really rise from the dead or did people just steal the body so they could start a movement of Christianity and a hype train and say, Jesus was who he said he was gonna be. Is, Is that what happened? And I want you to notice, Mary immediately assumes the body was taken. As People think, well, maybe they fabricated a resurrection story. Mary had no concept for that. Not only for herself as one of his followers, but we see earlier the disciples were there, and they didn't either. It takes Jesus, Luke 24, Jesus comes up to the disciples, and he's like, look at my hands, look at my feet. I'm not just spirit. I have flesh and bones. I'm back from the dead. And what you see is these closest followers of Jesus who would have fabricated a resurrection didn't even have a concept for one themselves, much less to convince other people that this is true. Do you see it? The Bible's the most raw, honest book in the whole world. In, In this case, where if you wanted to build a hype train and wanted to build a movement, man, I wouldn't have Mary doubting whether Jesus rose from the dead. I wouldn't have Mary constructing these ideas of somebody taking the body. I wouldn't leave that anywhere in. I wouldn't write that in. And so as we look at just the tomb of Jesus, we need to have some confidence in the credibility of Jesus' resurrection. 
And not just with Mary, but also with the tomb itself. As we look at history, the stone, if you can picture it, some of you have seen the picture, some of you have been to Israel, the stone in front of the tomb that was meant to seal the tomb for Jesus to be in was about five feet tall, about 3,000 pounds in weight. Not just that. We see earlier in John chapter 2, the religious leaders go to Pilate, the Roman governor, and they say, Pilate, hey, we got to make sure and guard this tomb because they were worried about, hey, if Jesus, if it seems like he rose from the dead, if the body is stolen, we want to squash that ever happening, and so we need to put Roman guards around that tomb, and we need to seal it with this giant stone. And Pilate in John chapter 20 says, I will make it as secure as possible, and so he puts Roman guards who were in that day equivalent to Navy SEALs in our day. Like experts in hand-to-hand combat. These were tough guys. And so if you, you track with me for a moment, people that will say, well, fabricating the resurrection, this was just a story to, to pump the, the hype train of Jesus being God. Just imagine the disciples. You ever read stories about the disciples? Peter, the ringleader of the disciples, who by the way, just denied Jesus three times before he died. And one of those times was to a little servant girl. Primarily, the disciples were fishermen. And so the disciples who didn't get a lot of things in right right in life, these fishermen, they rolled away a five-foot-tall, 3,000-pound stone. They fought off these Navy SEALs, and they convinced everybody that Jesus rose from the dead, even though it doesn't even seem like they believe that. So listen, we don't have blind faith here. We have a logical faith, and Scripture lends itself to that. Did you know all four Gospels were written in their lifetime, in the author's lifetime? As we look at at Scripture, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that Jesus, he comes back to life, and he appears to over 500 people. I would have had it just, well, just appear to your closest disciples, and they can be your biggest fan, but don't appear to everybody, and don't claim that, but that's what Jesus claims. We see Peter say later in the New Testament, there are eyewitnesses, so you could go back and and disprove this if you wanted to. And listen, by the way, if you were thinking about starting a cult, I mean, don't. (laughs) But if you're thinking about starting a cult, Don't do it this way. Like pro tip on starting a cult, have a vision in the middle of the night where no one else is around and write a book about that, right? That's the way you start a cult. You don't put verifiable, historical pieces to this that people could come back and disprove. You don't do that. And so I hope you you see this interaction with Jesus and, and Mary and see the credibility of Jesus, the credibility of the resurrection, but I also hope you see the character of Jesus. That Jesus does go for the outcast. That his priority and his pursuit is for the outcast. You see, Mary Magdalene, she is one of his closest followers now, but she wasn't always that way. Mary Magdalene, we learn in two places in the gospel, was possessed not by one demon, but by seven. If you've ever watched the the TV show, The The Chosen, what you see is they paint a really vivid picture of what it would be like to be Mary Magdalene in that day and possessed by all these demons, and they show what an outcast she was. Religious leaders were asked, hey, can you come do something about this lady's crazy? Can you come to her? And they didn't even want to approach her because she was an outcast. 
So again, Jesus thinks up, God thinks up, okay, how are we going to write this story? Who's going to be the first witness at the resurrection? The disciples, Peter, the one he's going to build this church on his rock, religious leaders, hey, Roman officials, the outcast, the demon-possessed woman who nobody wanted to go near. And Jesus says, yeah, her. That's the first person I'm going to reveal myself to. Listen, he had the chance to reveal himself to other people. Earlier in John chapter 20, John, the disciple Jesus loved, and Peter, the rock he's going to build this church on, they were at the tomb. If Jesus wanted to, he could have turned to them in that moment and said, Peter, like he says, Mary, John. In that day, that would have made for a better story. Because women in that day were devalued. Their rights were just above slaves. Their testimony not considered valid in court. And Jesus Christ says, the resurrection, the event that splits history into two, who do I want to go to? It's the outcast. And we see God's priority in his pursuit of the outcast. And I think for many of us, again, we feel like an outcast at some times in our lives. We look at our marriage and we think, Hey, things aren't functioning like it should. We're not able to have a conversation about deep things without arguing. We look at our life and we think, well, I'm supposed to follow Jesus and, and be holy and, and those types of things. But all I have is these thoughts of just envy and bitterness against all of my friends on social media. And we're told by Jesus, like, love your enemies. And we're like, I, I don't like my enemies much less love them. And I think if we were honest today, we would just all say, hey, there's some times where we feel like an outcast. We're not doing the church thing right. We're that puzzle piece that doesn't fit. And what Jesus is telling you in this moment is you're the one I'm, I'm coming for. You're the one I died for and you're the one I resurrected for. That's what he's doing. And we see that even as Jesus does, he goes to Mary and he calls her by name. Did you see that? Now, I can think of a lot of other scenarios. Like, if I was Jesus, like, after the cross, like, some of you were here on Good Friday, and we talked about this physical pain, but also this public shame of a cross, that Jesus was up high elevated so everybody could see, that they gave him a sour wine to extend the physical pain and public shame even longer, that Jesus Christ, the Lord of all the universe, he was humiliated, and he took it, scripture tells us, he gives up his spirit and he takes it and he dies. He doesn't get down off the cross and start wrecking shop on all the Roman guards. He doesn't tell the religious leaders, okay, now you're about to see my power and my glory. He takes it all and he humbles himself even to the point of death. And that was what Jesus just did. But now he's risen from the dead. Now, Again, if I was Jesus, and thank God I'm not, okay. But if I was Jesus and I'd just been humiliated on a cross, physical pain, public shame, and I'd been humbling myself for so long, when I rose from the dead, things would change. People would start bowing before me. Enough humility, right? I would it'd be the biggest I told you so ever. Again, thank God I'm not Jesus, right? Jesus, he, he doesn't, I was thinking, he could have just said to Mary, hey, hey, don't, 
don't stand before me. You bow. Every tribe and tongue and nation is going to bow before me one day. I'm the risen Lord. You bow before me on your knees right now. And Jesus would have been worthy and right to do just that. But what does he do? He says, Mary. And his grace for the outcast, he says, Mary. And you see God's heart for the outcast. And that's his heart for you. You see, Mary, in this moment, she didn't just think Jesus was distant like some of us feel right now. She thought Jesus was gone. She's weeping, so much so that two people have to ask, why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? It seems like Jesus is gone from her life. And yet that's the precise moment that Jesus calls her by name. Isaiah 43 says, for all of us who will believe in God, that that God calls us by name, that we are his. We go from outcast to adopted. And that's what he does for for Mary. He doesn't cause her to bow. He he calls her by, by name. And we're seeing the character of God on display. If you feel like, listen, if you feel like Jesus is distant from you, He's calling you by name. You showed up here for that purpose. There are no accidents. There's only appointments. And you are here today to know that Jesus is calling you by name right now. He's drawing you to himself. He has a heart for the outcast to become adopted. Did you notice it with me? What does Jesus tell Mary He says, hey, I want you to go and tell the disciples. And he says something really specific. I want you to go tell them, I'm going to send to the Father, God the Father, important title. And my Father is also your Father. In the Jewish culture, that was scandalous to say. In fact, religious leaders, one of the many problems they had with Jesus is that he was always calling God Father. Because in their minds, that was irreverent. You don't call God Father. That's too intimate. That's too close. They were comfortable with the kneeling before God, the religious duties before God, not calling God Daddy, Father. And yet that's what Jesus used. That was the title he used to describe God was Father. And he says, I'm going to be with my Father, but Mary, he's also your Father. And tell the disciples, he's also their Father. So he calls her by name and says, you're my daughter. See, I, I know lots of names. I'm a pastor. It's my job, right? If I forget names, people don't think I love them and that whole thing, you know. I need to know people's names, and I, I know a lot of people's names. Not just in this room, maybe even watching online. It's not just that I know your names. I know names of athletes like you do and entertainers that, that I follow right now because I have an almost 12-year-old daughter. I know the name and hear the name a lot, Taylor Swift, in my house all the time, we're telling Alexa, play Taylor Swift. Did you know you can say play uh, shuffle songs by T-Swift and it does it? <laughs> I know that because I've heard her name so much. She's coming out with a new album. Did you know that? <laughs> She's bringing back the old songs. It's like 20 plus. I just learned last night. <laughs> I, I know lots of names. And listen, God bless Taylor Swift. Lo- love her. Right? God bless you. I know your name. I love you. But there's three names in my life that hit a little bit differently. There's three names in my life that carry a little bit different weight. They're Neela, Ashwin, and Tanabe. See, those are my kids' names, my daughters and my son. That's their names. 
And I, I love Taylor Swift. I love your name. I love you. But I would fight for my kids. For Ashwin, Tanavi, and Neela. Now, I'd go to the map for those guys. For those names, my son and my daughters. I'd, I'd get up six times in the middle of the night and bring them water. Right? Amen, parents? <laughs> it's a little bit different names because they're my kids, because I'm their father. You need to see today, you go from outcast, not to indifferent. You go from outcast to adopted. And God knows your name, and you're his son, and you're his daughter in Jesus Christ. And he fights for you. And he comes to you in your worst moment, in your darkest day. And he says, you're part of my family, and you can never leave this family. You're mine, right? We see Mary, she goes from outcast to adopted, but it keeps getting better. Happy Easter. She goes from outcast to adopted to empowered. Did you notice Jesus gives her a mission? He doesn't just put her on the sidelines and say, hey, you had a lot of demons, Let's just make sure like you're good. Let's make sure sure you go through a class first. No, he says, hey, go. You go proclaim what just happened. You go proclaim. I'm not just rising. I'm ascending to my father. You go tell people, it's not just my father. It's your father. You have been an outcast, but now you're adopted. And he empowers Mary in this moment. It's like the student loan debt that gets paid but also you get an honorary doctorate on your wall. Come on, somebody should say amen to that. The student loan gets paid, honorary doctorate on your wall, but also you get a promotion in life. And you get purpose and meaning. You see, we all have this sense, this desire for belonging, but Jesus says, no, I'm gonna one-up you. It's not just belonging. It's your part of helping other people belong. See, one of the, the reasons I love being a pastor so much is because I can't get over that I get to invite you today from outcast to adopted to empowered because I'm very in tune that I went from outcast to adopted to empowered. And the reason I get up in the morning and the reason why we planted this church six and a half years ago and the reason why we prayed up for Easter and got a donut truck and set up a baptism trough is because I know that I was once an outcast, but now I'm adopted and he, he calls me his son. And he lets me be a part of inviting you to do that too. Amazing grace. Amen. I didn't belong. I didn't feel like I belonged. And, and God is saying, no, you do belong and help others do the same. It's an amazing grace. It's a, a glorious resurrection that we see the massive implications of what it means to know the resurrected Christ. And my question to you is, do you know him? Do you feel like an outcast? Do you feel like you don't belong? Because you do look at your life, you do look at your past, you do look at your sin, you do look at your doubt. Listen, the greatest attack of the enemy is to convince you that you don't belong to your God, your father. You're not his son, you're not his daughter. The greatest attack you could make on me, and listen, don't get any ideas, don't do this. 
But as a father of those three kids, Neela, Ashwin, and Tanavi, that I would fight for, that I love, that I pray and will snot out for, that they come to know Jesus, that I'll get up and give them water six times in the night. Like, if you were to want to attack me and want to be hateful towards me as their dad, here's what you would do. Don't do it, but I'm going to give you the way to do it. After the service, you would find my little kids, and you would tell Neela, Ashwin, Tanavi, guess what? Your dad doesn't love you. You don't belong to him. Greatest attack. The most hateful thing you could ever do would be to do that. Listen, I believe Satan, that's what he's an expert in. How many of you know that? All the time, you feel that way. All the time, you have those thoughts. Listen, we have a need today to be reminded God loves you. He's taken you from outcast to adopted to empowered. And that is truth. And anything else you're believing, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, anything else you're believing is a lie. And you're here on Easter to be reminded and to soak in and to place your faith in the anchor of your life, that God is your father and you're adopted into his family and you're empowered in his work. And you're meant to know that and believe that and worship because of that and not just do that on Easter, but every day of your life. That's God's plan for you. So listen, I know we've probably heard this before, right? Like you've been to an Easter service and maybe you've heard some of this before. And just like earlier with John and Peter, they went to the tomb, but they went back home. And some of you, that, that's your story. You've heard outcast, adopted, empowered. You've heard some version that Jesus died and rose again for you, that you can be a part of his family. You can be fully known. You can also be fully loved. And you've heard that. But you kind of peeked in, and then you just went home. You peeked in the tomb. Okay, maybe some other time. You just went about your life. And what I would challenge you and encourage you is this Easter should be different than that. Listen, if the student loan is paid and you have the honorary doctorate and the promotion, but you still keep sending checks to Sally Mae or whatever your thing is, that's ridiculous, amen? That is silly. How many of you would do that? No one. But yet how many of us, we hear, outcast who adopted in the name and the person and work of Jesus Christ. He rose again for you. He calls you by name. He loves you. You're one of his kids. He's fighting for you in this very moment. And how many of us do we hear that? But we say, I need to write some checks though for what I did yesterday. I still got some work to do, some striving, some climbing. I still got to pursue this success because that's where it really is. I still got to make sure my bank account, this relationship is, is good. And in that moment with a paid off student loan, an honorary doctorate and a promotion, you're sending in checks to the loan servicer. It's crazy. Nobody would do that. And yet how many times do we do that with God? So what I'm calling you today just to receive by faith what Jesus has accomplished on your behalf on the cross and resurrection. Receive that adoption. Walk. Some of you, you say, Tim, I have. I did when I was a kid. I did several years ago. But are you walking in it? Are you walking in it? 
so some of us need to receive by faith this adoption. Some of us, we need to just be reminded that we already have and start walking in that way. And so I'm gonna give you a moment to respond. I would just ask that you'd bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Would everybody in the room just do that? Even if you're watching at home, just take a moment. Bow your heads, close your eyes. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that right now. Every head's bowed, every eye is closed. This is a moment to see who Jesus is and to respond to him accordingly. And so I would invite you just to pray this simple prayer after me. If you, if you just honestly say, Tim, I've never placed my faith in Jesus, but I have some sin and I have some doubt and the enemy is attacking me and I don't see God as father. In fact, I've never heard of him that way. If that's you, I would just invite you to pray this prayer. Simply just tell Jesus, Jesus, I receive by faith your life, your death, and your resurrection. Jesus, I give you my sin, and I give you my life. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. Listen, if you just prayed that every head bowed, every eye closed. If you just prayed that, I would encourage you, I would challenge you just to get up and walk to the back. We have leaders standing right at the back who would love to pray with you, who would love to have a conversation with you. And listen, we'd love to baptize you today to go public proclaiming that you are a son or daughter of the Most High God. And listen, we'll clap and we'll celebrate because that is a day that has changed your life and you will never be the same. So if you just pray that prayer, would you just have the courage just to get up and walk to the back as a step of obedience to what Jesus has called you to, just step up and walk to the back today and talk with somebody who would love to pray with you, talk with you. We got clothes, we got towels, all your excuses are out the window. We'd love for you to make this decision to get baptized and celebrate new life in Jesus today. The second person I wanna talk to you for a moment is the, the person who says, well, Tim, I've already done that but I haven't ever gone public. And maybe you were baptized as a baby. Listen, that was a special day for your parents. This can be a special day for you where you step out in faith and say, I am a child of God. I have placed my faith in Jesus. He is my anchor and it's nothing else. And maybe functionally it is some other things and and you need to step out in, in baptism today just to proclaim it's nothing else but Jesus. It's no one else but Jesus. I place my faith in him. And so if that's you, if you've just never been baptized, I would encourage you, go to the back. We have people who would love to talk with you. I'm gonna pray, we're gonna sing. If at any point, those leaders are gonna stay back there, any point, God is stirring your heart. Don't ignore it, don't dismiss it, respond. Let me pray, Father in heaven, God, I thank you that you rose from the grave, that you call us by name, God, even those of us who feel like outcasts, in the name and for the fame of Jesus, we have been adopted. We've been empowered to be a part of your eternal story. Help that not to be lost on us. Help us not just to go too quickly to Easter lunch and miss out on our lives being changed for eternity. God, I do pray for the men and women who are in this room who are maybe wrestling right now and maybe hearing the voice of the enemy that says, hey, just wait, he's gonna be done soon. (laughs) Hey, hey, just, you're not not one of those people who's worthy enough to be called a child of God. Hey, just, 
Do you know what you did last night? I just pray in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, against the enemy right now, and that your voice would be louder than his, and your voice would be louder than ours, and you would call people to yourself right now. And God, that we would celebrate that we're yours and that you're alive. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.